0: you please turn to Judges chapter 4. Judges chapter 4. And uh, I wanted to mention uh, how good it is this morning, how happy we are that Miss Donna Hammond is back with us this morning worshiping with us. Praise God. Let's give the Lord a praise offering for that. Amen. It's a miracle. Miss Donna, we're so glad. We're so glad that you're back with us. Amen. Judges chapter 4. Let me make a couple of quick announcements, things that have already been said, but I want to just emphasize them again. Wednesday nights we're continuing our study on sound doctrine. Got a few more weeks left of that. We want to encourage you to get in on that. Um, And then next Sunday night, uh, as has already been said, we'll have no adult worship service here Sunday evening. Uh, Next Sunday evening we'll be joining with other, other congregations at First Baptist for our annual community Thanksgiving service, and this year our host church has arranged to have a a special piano concert uh, with uh, Carter Cook. Mr. Cook is actually um, associate counsel for Wake Forest University. Uh, Can I hear it from the Wake Forest fans? (laughs) That that was weak. Uh, One fan. There's another. uh, He's not in here. He's putting his uh, um, uh, trombone away or his instrument away. So uh, anyway, he is associate counsel for Wake Forest University. He's been playing the piano since kindergarten. So he's a very accomplished uh, pianist. And uh, he is a founder of Piano Versus Poverty, which donates all of the proceeds from his recordings to faith-based charities. And so um, we are going to be taking an offering that night. He's going to be selling CDs that night and proceeds from the offerings. The sale of CDs are all going to go uh, to Duma to assist with our benevolent services, including our uh, community food pantry. So we want to encourage everyone please make a special uh, effort to, to be at First Baptist next Sunday night. And, um, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to begin a series on the names of some, not all, but some of the names of Jesus called uh, Call His Name. And in December, we're going to have the guys from Team Challenge coming to do our missions update. And then, as Pastor Belinda mentioned this morning, all of our Christmas programs and musicals. And so we have a lot to look forward to that's coming up. Only 39 days until Christmas. Uh, Does that scare anybody? It scares a few, makes some happy. 39 days till Christmas. Judges chapter 4 contains the story of Deborah and Barak. Uh, who were both instrumental in Israel's deliverance from Jabin, the king of uh, Canaan. And I want to read the first seven verses of this chapter, Judges chapter 4, first seven verses. And then I want to make some remarks that I believe uh, may be helpful to somebody here today. All the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, the king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in that place right there. (laughs) Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of uh, Lapidoth, was... Judging Israel, who uh, was judging Israel at that time. And she used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. And she sent and summoned Barak, the son of uh, Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you Go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking ten <clears> thousand, excuse me, taking ten thousand from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun, and I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. Give them him into your hand. Now there's a word in that first verse that we can all identify with, and it's that word again, again. Uh, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. That word, that word again, it evokes things that are familiar to us. And how many knows that's not always Not always bad. To do something again is not always bad. It's because it's a routine that's, for instance, I got up this morning, I took a shower, and tomorrow I will take a shower again. (laughs) (laughs) This morning uh, you came to church because it's Sunday, and hopefully next week you will be back again because it 's a healthy habit, healthy habits, good routines, happy traditions are all complements of that word again, things that we do um, again. We were talking about thanksgiving at my house just um, yesterday, I think it was, and we were asking the kids what what do you guys want on the Thanksgiving uh, menu and one of the Perennial things that come back up on our uh, Thanksgiving menu is cranberry sauce. How many have cranberry sauce at Thanksgiving? Of course, all of us, a lot of us do. But now listen, uh, we're not talking about that fancy schmancy cranberry sauce. We're talking about the congealed kind that comes out of a can, right? When I was a kid, it it wasn't Thanksgiving unless we had that congealed cranberry sauce. And it wasn't until much later in life that I... I knew and understand that those decorations, the ridges on the outside of the cranberry sauce, that that wasn't fancy decoration, that that was just from the can when they opened the can and it said, shh and fell out of the can. So <laughs> it's, a, it's a Thanksgiving tradition because we have it again and again and again. So happy, uh, healthy habits, good routines, traditions, they all come about because we do things again and again. However, that word, again, it also evokes uh, things that not only are familiar to us, but things that are frustrating uh, to us. In other words, uh, you mean I have to do this again? That I have to go through this uh, again? Listen, we've all done things that we've promised we would never repeat only to do them again. We've all failed, we've all made mistakes, and we said, I'll never do that again. And what do we do? We end up doing it again. We've all been places before that we've, we've thought, we'll never return there again. I'll never go there again. And then we wind up in that same place again. And that's what happened uh, to Israel here. The subtitle, in fact, the subtitle for the book of Judges could be this, Israel is in trouble again. <laughs> because they go through this cycle time and time again. They they call on the Lord, they repent, God saves them, and then they fall back into bondage uh, again. And this time they're in bondage to Jabin the king of Canaan, which which actually is an interesting title that he would be called the king of Canaan because Canaan, how I many knows Canaan was was supposed to be the possession of Israel. Supposed to be their land. It was supposed to be their possession. And so it must have poured insult upon injury for Israel to have been made slaves. They were once slaves in Egypt, but then to be made slaves again of a pagan king in a land that was supposed to be their own land. Nevertheless, here they were again, God's chosen people in trouble because they had failed to live at the level of the inheritance that they had received because they had failed to possess all that God had given to them and because of that they were in bondage again and as a result they were cruelly oppressed for 20 years. See, Israel remained in bondage to Jabin for 20 years before anything was, was done about it. You know, that's, um, there's only one there's only one thing that's worse than being in tr- finding yourself in trouble again. After all, we've all been there before. We've all gotten in trouble again. Can you say amen? We've, we've all been there before, but there's only one thing worse than getting in trouble again, and that is remaining there for 20 years. Cruelly oppressed by a pagan king. Let me give you some words of wisdom this morning, taken from the mouth of one of my favorite philosophers and theologian, uh, Barney Fife. <laughs> Barney Fife says, nip it. <laughs> nip it in the bud. <laughs> Listen, there, there are things that we have all done before that we didn't want to do again, Right? There are places that we've all gone to before that we thought, I'll never return there. I'll never be in that place again. So there's all things that we've done that we didn't want to do again. But listen, the best time to correct something that you thought you'd never do again is immediately. Don't wait 20 years to cry out to God. We've all been in places where we thought we would never be again. But listen, the best time to turn around when you recognize you're in a place that you thought you'd never get before, uh, again is when? It's immediately. I see some wives that are nudging their husbands now because when we get lost, guys, we just we, sometimes we want to do what? We just want to drive around until we find a, a road that's familiar. I'll find my way out of this uh, somehow, right? But the best time to turn around when you get lost is, uh, is immediately, right? Turn around uh, immediately. Correct the trouble immediately. So we've all been in trouble again, but the best time to ask for help when you get in trouble is right away. Right away. We don't, we don't know exactly how long it was before Israel began to cry out to God under their, uh, under their oppression, but the sense is that they endured 20 years of cruel oppression before they finally had had enough and they finally begin to cry out to God and ask God for help and for deliverance. Why, why did they wait so long to cry out to God? Why, why did they wait so long to lift up their voice and to ask God uh, to help them? Well, I want to talk about that in just a minute. But before I do, I want you to notice what happens when they do cry out to God. God hears and God answers. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful that God loves us so much that when we do get into trouble, even when we go back and we do the same things again and again, even when we wind up at that same place that we've been before, aren't you thankful that God loves us so much that when we do cry out for help, even, listen, even if our trouble is of our own making, even if it's the consequences of choices that we've made, even if it's something that we have done, ...to ourselves that when we cry out to God, God hears us and God answers. Somebody say, praise the Lord. I'm glad that God hears us when we cry out for help, when we get in trouble. So Israel was in trouble again because they had sinned again. And in fact, verse number 2 says that it was the Lord that sold them into the hand of Jabin. Because of their sin and because of their disobedience... Even so, when they do cry out for help, he hears them and he has compassion upon them. And how great is the father's love for his children. That even when they got themselves in trouble again, that God heard their cry for help and that he answered them. Aren't you thankful that we are sometimes chastened by God, but we're never forsaken by God. Amen. So sometimes he disciplines us, but he never leaves us. Therefore, we should learn a lesson from Israel's stubborn reluctance in this passage. Twenty years, they were cruelly oppressed by a pagan king because they refused to call out to God for help. So we can learn a lesson from them. In all of your troubles, cry out quickly to Jesus Christ. As soon as you recognize, hey, I'm in trouble, I'm going to call out to Jesus Christ. Nip it in the bud. Don't wait 20 years, don't wait 20 days. Listen, early in the morning on the day of your adversity, lift up your voice and pray, Heavenly Father, have mercy on me, your child. Amen. How many believe that's good advice? Call out quickly to Jesus Christ. Don't wait to lift your prayer up to him for mercy. Although Israel had done what was evil, and therefore they were bearing the consequences of their own sin, God's love for his own people compelled him to deliver them from their trouble and to deliver them from their oppression. Listen, how much more will God be moved by the cries of those how much more will he come to us, to the assistance of those that have been bought with the precious blood of his son, Jesus Christ? Cry out quickly to Jesus Christ. The moment that you are in trouble, lift up your voice to him. Not all of our problems are caused by our own sin and our own disobedience. Many of them are. Uh, they are the result of us, like the Israelites, living below our inheritance, what we have received Uh, in Jesus Christ. But listen, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if the problems that you face are of your own making. It doesn't matter if they're of somebody else's making. It doesn't matter if they seem random in your life. Cry out to God for help and he will answer. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? But what is the delay in God helping his people in trouble? Specifically, why did it take so long for Israel to be delivered from their bondage to Jabin, the king of Canaan. Well, there are several possible reasons that their deliverance took so long, but I'm just going to point out 900 of them this morning, all right? <laughs> Never preached a message with 900 points, but we're going to start it this morning. We'll try. No, just 900 uh, reasons. This passage says that Jabin had 900 chariots of iron, 900 chariots. Of iron. Now listen, these weren't the light chariots that you often see in uh, Bible illustrations that, are, that were made of wood and cloth. And basically those were just a, a light platform for archers to deploy archers quickly or to uh, raid enemy uh, positions with, um, with quickness. Chariots of iron were the equivalent, uh, the ancient equivalent of modern armor and organized as separate armored divisions or organized in connection with uh, standard infantry. These uh, iron chariots were deadly force multipliers. It made a large army even larger and more imposing and more dangerous. In fact, the expense and the effectiveness of these kinds of, of chariots or, why they became a means of measuring uh, an army's strength and measuring their power. In other words, to quote an army's strength by referencing the number of iron chariots that they possessed was to put that army beyond the scope of any army that measured itself only in manpower. In other words, Israel's army is measured in terms of what? How many men? They have 10,000 men. Jabin's army is measured in terms of what? How many iron chariots they can put in the field or at the time of battle. And exact ratios of, of soldiers to chariots are, different, are, are difficult to know. But estimates range from as much as, if you look at ancient literature, estimates range from the conservative 10 soldiers for every one chariot that an army put in the field. To, that's a very conservative estimate, to very extreme, 300 soldiers to every one chariot that an army could put in the field. However, in ancient China, in anyway, a the ratio was, was about 25 to 1. 25 soldiers for every one heavy chariot that an army could put in the field, which would mean that Jabin's army was what? At least, y'all, you math me. I had to use my calculator. Some of y'all have already done that in your head. It means that that Jabin's army was at least what twice the size of Israel's. At least, if uh, conservative, even if you take the conservative estimate, Jabin's army would have still been far superior to any force that Israel could put in the field because they matched in terms of manpower about ten thousand. Uh, About 10,000 men, but Jabin's army was technologically superior. They were much more advanced, and they had the force multiplier of 900 armored chariots. The bottom line is that Jabin had an overwhelming military advantage over Israel. And Israel was therefore powerless to resist the oppression that Jabin brought against them. Barak would have been a a fool to confront Jabin on the battlefield. It would have been foolish for him to take his army of 10,000 men and try to confront Jabin's army of 900 iron chariots. No one uh, would predict that Israel could win a military confrontation with Jabin and therefore no one expected Barak to ever wage war against Jabin. No one except maybe God. No one except God. In fact, when Israel cries out for help, and their cry finally reaches a crescendo in the ear of God, God sends his word to the prophetess Deborah, who in turn calls for Barak, and she confronts him with an interesting question. Look at look at, it, what, at what it says, or at least in some versions, it reads as a question. She says to Barak, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, Go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, and draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you, and I will give him into your hand. See, in this, in this verse, it's easy to, to question whether or not Deborah is informing Barak of what God has said, or whether, uh, or whether she is reminding Barak of what God had already said to him. It's a, it's a bit ambiguous. Is she informing him, listen, this is what God says, do, or is she saying, hasn't God already commanded you to do this? Hasn't God already spoken to you to gather your army together at Tabor, and then he will draw out the army of Jabin uh, to meet you? It's a bit ambiguous, but there's there's no doubt that Barak is reluctant to do what God has told him to do. Because in in the following verses, and you probably know this story very well, but in the following verses... Uh, Barak says he will only go if Deborah goes with him, which then she agrees to do. She says, okay, I'll go with you, but in the victory that is won, you'll get no glory in the victory that is won because you're reluctant to do what God has commanded you to do and has told you to do. The exchange to me is interesting because it, it seems to suggest to me this morning that at least one reason that Israel's deliverance was delayed for however long, whether it was was the entire 20 years, whether it was 20 days, two months, however long, that at least one of the reasons that Israel continued to suffer under under Jabin, the king of Canaan, was because God had already told Barak what to do, but he was reluctant to do it. That he refused to do it. Therefore, Deborah had to confront him and had to make him accountable for the word of God. Hasn't God already said, gather your forces together? Hasn't God already told you to to gather your forces together at Mount Tabor? Hasn't God already said he would draw out the army of Jabin? Hasn't God already said that you all meet at the river? And hasn't God already said that he would give them over into your hands. You see, sometimes, not always, not always, but sometimes we prolong our adversity because we refuse to do what God has already told us to do. Sometimes we prolong our troubles because we simply refuse to do what God has already told us to do. Sometimes Sometimes it's simple. So simple that we assume that couldn't be God. (laughs) You remember the story of uh, Naaman who had leprosy? You remember that story from Sunday school? Nod your head if you remember Naaman. Okay. Now, nod somebody else's head. Make sure they're away. Don't do that. (laughs) You remember Naaman? Naaman uh, went to Israel. He was prepared to pay great sums of money that he might be healed from his leprosy. You remember? And when he showed up, the prophet told him to do what? Go bathe in the Jordan River, dip seven times, and you'll be clean. And Naaman said what? Pfft. That's ridiculous. Huh. I mean, there's rivers back in Syria where I'm from. I could have washed in any one of those rivers. That's not God. God is tell not telling me to do that. That's crazy. It's, it's so simple. It's ridiculous. And he left, and he almost, he almost didn't obey what God told him to do, and he almost did not receive his healing because what God told he was reluctant to do. What God told him to do, and he almost missed his healing because he thought that's too simple. That can't be God. Sometimes God tells us to do things, and we think, well, that can't be. That can't be God. <laughs> God, don't you see this problem this, that I'm in? Don't you see this trouble that I'm facing? Don't you see what I'm going through? And Simple answers are not going to work in this situation. God, I need you to show up and intervene. Sometimes we miss God. Sometimes we prolong our adversity simply because we're unwilling or reluctant to do what God has already told us to do. And sometimes it's simple. Sometimes sometimes it's so impossibly hard that we can't imagine that we would ever be successful. And and listen, uh, that's where Barak is at here. That's his predicament. That's, That's what he is struggling with. Imagine that God had told him to do exactly what Deborah reminded him that the Lord had already said to him. Imagine that one night he was asleep in his tent, and he had a vision, and God rolled out a map in his imagination, and... Showed to exactly where he wanted him to gather his troops. Gather your troops together at Mount Tabor and then march them this way. Imagine that God explained to him in his dream and his vision exactly how the battle was going to unfold, that, that Jabin's army and Sisera would attack this way and he would flank them this way and then do this, and, and the end was God says, I will give them into your hands. Imagine that God had said that to, to Barak. Then imagine the next day that he woke up and he called his closest military advisor to him and he, he vetted the plan that God had given him the night before in his vision and his advisor replies, that's suicide. <laughs> we've, we've got 10,000 men. Don't you know that Jabin has an army of 900 iron chariots? He's got at least 22,000 men, and sir, that's, that's suicide for us to do that. We, we have no chance against Jabin's army. We have no chance against his iron chariots. Um, with all due respect, sir, we'll be slaughtered by the river. But Barak replies, God said he'll give them into our hands. And his advisor says to him, well, I I don't know what to say about that, sir. I can only say that logically, it cannot work. Logically, it's suicide. And I can only ask this, can't God do it a different way? (laughs) Can't God do it a a better way? (laughs) And so Barak did nothing. And he prolonged the cruel oppression of Jabin because he, re, he was reluctant to do what God had told him to do. And listen, who can blame Barak for doing nothing? Certainly not me. It's hard for me to blame Barak for doing nothing because, listen, we all hope for and we all pray for the easy answer, don't we? We all pray for the easy miracle, don't we? Nobody wants to say amen to that, but it's true. We all pray for the miracle. We all pray for the easy answer. But here's a fact. Victories are not won until battles are fought. Victories are not won until battles are fought. And sometimes God answers our prayer with marvelous miracles of deliverance. Isn't that great? I'm going to keep praying for marvelous miracles of deliverance. Can I get an amen this morning? Because sometimes God answers our prayers that way. Sometimes we go to bed one night and the enemy is camped in the valley. And we wake up the next morning and they have fled. And they've left all of the spoils of war behind them. And you just have to march into the enemy's camp and pick up the spoils. Isn't it wonderful when God answers prayers that way? Sometimes... He answers prayers through miracles of deliverance. But sometimes God answers our prayer by sending us out into battle against an army that is armed to the teeth and is ready to destroy us and ready to kill us. And he says, trust me, I'll give them into your hands. And the real reason why we often, not always, but the real reason why we often remain in bondage is because we are afraid to fight the battles that we know that we must face if we're going to obey God's word. God, that's just too hard. Can't you do it a different way? Can't you do it a, can't you do it a better way? But listen, sometimes God delivers us by sending us into battle to fight that battle, depending on him, trusting in him, and knowing that all we have is a word from God. And he says, I will give them into your hands. You go out as impossible as it seems, Barak, as hard and as difficult as you imagine. Oh, and it's going to be hard. It's going to be a hard, fault. Battle, But as hard as it seems, as impossible as it looks, you go out, stand on my word, do exactly what I said, and I will give them into your hands. Listen, I'm, I prefer the miracles that send the enemy away fleeing. <laughs> I prefer to blow the trumpet and watch the enemy just scatter, and I can say, "Woo, praise God, that's wonderful. How many of us, it doesn't always happen that way? Because there's some things that God only does in our life by sending us out into battle. To harden us through battle. And teach us to trust God no matter what the odds are. No matter how many people are against you. Can somebody say amen? amen. No matter what the doctor says. that You can say, no, listen, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to fight this battle. And I'm going to trust God. And God has promised that it's going to come out okay. Amen. <laughs> No matter what the marriage looks like, no matter how hopeless it might seem, you say, no, listen, I'm going to stick it out. I'm going to fight this battle because God has promised that he's going to see me through. No matter matter what the situation looks like in your life, and some of you this morning are staring at enemies that are armed to the teeth, and you're thinking, God, (laughs) where are you? God, what's going on in my life? And I believe that God is saying to somebody this morning, it's okay, you go out, face the enemy, fight the battle. I'm going to be with you, and I'll deliver him into your hands. So the choice is us, uh, up to us whether we're going to trust, uh, trust God's words. And you know, the reality is is that sometimes, not always, sometimes... When we find ourselves in that place again, it's because last time we refused to fight the battle that God's telling us, this time you need to fight the battle. This time you need to trust me. Don't run away from the fight. Don't don't be afraid of the enemy. Sometimes we come back and we circle back around and we come to those same mistakes that we make in our life and we do the same things again because we've been reluctant to trust God the first time. And so we have to circle back again because we failed to obey God the second time. And so we have to circle back again because we failed to obey God the third time. And you know, you would think that Israel would have learned that lesson, right? They wandered for 40 years in the wilderness because when they came to the border of the promised land, they said what? Ah, nope. The enemy's too big. The enemy's too great. And so they had to circle around and come back again until they were willing to say, the battle belongs to the Lord. And I'm going to face down the enemy. I'm going to fight this battle. And I'm going to trust in the Lord and he'll bring deliverance.